Friends, come hither. Come forward. It is time for the next panel. And uh, I will say this. We need people in the front row. Otherwise, there is a comedy moat. There's a way we can bring this whole room together. You know how that is? <clears throat> we are going to sing happy birthday to Marley. It's one year, one year today, Marley. This is Soju Gang's child. This is what we are literally going to do right now. Soju, with your blessing, with your blessing. Can we sing happy birthday to Marley? One, yeah? Everybody, we're going to sing happy birthday to Marley right now. Here we go. Happy Come forward. Mali. Happy birthday to you. Hip hip. Hip hip. Beautiful work. Love it. You three cool cats, forward. Yes, absolutely. Otherwise, I'll reveal how much money Sound Merch made two days ago. Come forward, come forward, come forward. You told me last night. It was, hey, it's okay, we're good. It's all right, Em. Okay, quick, quick sip. Oh, sound good. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. It's Friday. Cheers, all. Let's have a great show. All right. <clears throat> Panel number two. First artist we're going to be bringing out is none other than Maple Glider, Tori Zeech. Riding high after winning last night, the Breakthrough Artist publicly voted at Music Vic Awards. Originally from Lismore, New South Wales, now living in Melbourne with a crazy story in between which you're about to find out. Give it up for Maple Glider. Come on, that's, come on, come on, come on, Melbourne. Don't be too cool. That's better. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to your seat. So lovely. Come on down, come on down. We nearly hugged and we didn't quite go there. Okay, good. And I'm going to let you, uh, Marcus, introduce our next guest because you've done some excellent research. Put you on the spot, son. Thanks, Mikey. Janaya Turner. 20-year career in the music industry, largely based in the UK. Worked with independent label One Little Independent Records, formerly One Little Indian, which you would know Bjork, Sneaker Pimps, Cody Chestnut, people like that. Product manager of the global roster before going on to run Almost Gold Recordings for Europe, which is Calvin Harris, Black Kids, Does It Defend You? Yeah. And she's since spent most of her time as an artist manager and has looked after the careers of artists like Arcade Fire, Bjork and MIA. No big. S standard. No In the big. house. No big. Welcome, Janaea. Janaea Turner! Ow! Tries I need to have music for you guys. Janaea, quick, pop out the back. Seriously. Do not make this woman walk back out here. Do you, up to you, but uh, yeah, it's tense now. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's better be a Courtney, good track, Courtney, fix Mikey. it in post. This is taking you behind the curtain. Here we go. Oh, she's back. She's bad. It's Janaya Turner! There we go. <laughs> okay. Thank you for, uh, I wouldn't say indulging me. I don't know what happened there, but it was great. Everyone enjoyed it. Very good. Okay, thank you. Hit different podcasts. First time we've ever done this live. Clearly. <clears throat> Start with you. Uh, we'll throw some questions for you. Mapes, Tori Zeech. You've got a pretty standard story, uh, um, Tori, of uh, escaping a cult based in regional New South Wales, going overseas and uh, refusing to marry a man who wanted to live in Switzerland, Switzerland with you, 
for visa purposes, returning home and becoming a successful solo artist. Over to you. Uh, yeah, I feel like you just made it sound like way more interesting than it actually is. <laughs> it's pretty damn interesting. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty uh, damn interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, um, Stacey Oroko's music is satanic. Um, that's something that I, I learned uh, in my experience. Her specifically? Yeah, yeah. There was a Stuck reference. on you? Uh, yeah, really? yeah. Hate Dang. you, but I love you. Satan. Um, so I learned that from a from a young age. <laughs> so that's a bit of um, such a good song. I know. I actually think um, I've got to rethink things now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. I think uh, that was. Yeah. That says a lot about um sure. what that experience. How was young? Like. How young uh, were you when this information was imparted? Uh, I don't know. I think like I mean I was raising it from birth. So, um, I think probably like. In high school, it would have been early high school because I really loved Stacey Oroko. Um, mm. Yeah, and her song, There's Gotta, gotta be, be More to Life. There's Gotta Be More to Life. Really? Yeah. Even the, and there was, more, there was more to life. And that's yeah. all that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Janae, what satanic yeah. music do you get into? Yeah. <laughs> um, now. <laughs> Janae the Slayer. Which of the artists that you've managed have you thought maybe might be Satan incarnate uh, at particular times of their career? Uh, not, no, I haven't. Well, actually. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> I can't answer that question. There's a fantastic profile of MIA on, uh, on The Guardian and you're referenced in the background. Ooh. And, she, and she's saying that... Spill. She was she was away. I can't remember quite where, but she wasn't. Yeah. Re- there was no reception. She was, yeah, she was. I think that may have been. She was either up. She may have been trying to climb Everest. At to- like she would just do those things. She'd call me up and be like, "Can you book me on a flight? I need to go climb Everest." And she'll take herself on a flight, <laughs> um, land, has lost her money on the plane, um, wow. has lost her phone. Uh, Need found a phone from someone. Anyway, she got her phone back at some point, and yeah, I, we were trying to. It was in the middle of an album release, and which and album he, was it? Do you remember? Um, it was her last album. Yeah, it was the last album that was also like self-titled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and you know, as you do when you've got an album release, you've got a lot of questions. You need a lot of things authorized and signed off, and she wouldn't return any of my emails or calls. And then told me that she had lost her phone and it, she'd still lost her phone. I'm like, oh, but I saw Instagram posts going oh. up. So her phone hadn't gone MIA. Uh, hey. Sorry, everybody. Hey. It's Friday. It's Friday and I'm a father. Hey. Very good. Uh, and, and what about Bjork? Because I, I, um, oh, I interviewed MIA once and she was eating wheat bix on the phone. It was pretty, it was pretty rude. Uh, I've interviewed Bjork as well, an incredible artist. What part of her career were you sort of looking after? Oh, my God. My Bjork stories are the best stories. <laughs> Although I, can't, I don't know really if I can share any. You can share Bjork all of them. Stories. We're all friends here. But um, I worked with her twice, and actually the first time was the most important time because I lived with her um, wow. in New York. Um, and it was um, around the Vespertine album. So I start, it was my second job I ever had was her assistant. And um, so she was touring the world's opera houses with like a 16-piece Greenlandic choir and a 64-piece orchestra. And it was the most beautiful mm. like set of shows. That, that album I've, is mm. stunning. As I've yeah. seen in my life. Mm. And Matthew had designed these beautifully ornate music boxes. 
And um, so through that tour, and then after that tour, I lived with her upstate New York. Um, and that, I actually think, was one of the probably most influential periods of my life. Mm. So. You've got Tony de Blasi complaining about a five-piece band, <laughs> honestly. Um, well, what was so, what sort of impacted you so much about it all? So I, I'd been at film school and I'd been like learning about people like um, Susan Sontag and all these like kind of influential people. And then you cut forward to, it was only about three or four years and I'm sitting at the director of the Guggenheim's apartment next to Susan Sontag, who's, energy is all kind of like nervous because Björk's walked in with Matthew Barney and I'm freaking out at Susan Sontag. And so, and just kind of being thrust into the realities of what that world was and um, and New York at that time and also being in music when there was some money in music um, was amazing. Uh, and like, yeah, it was just and living with the two of them. I mean, Matthew and Björk were su are such phenomenal artists and mm. just their approach to life kind of gave me, um, I think, the most overriding lesson of my life which is you determine how you live your life. Straight up. And it isn't, there is no rule or pattern that you have to follow. And she's phenomenal. She's like one of the most intelligent, like brilliant minds I've ever met. Yeah. So, Incredible. yeah, I love you. Incredible. Um, in terms of uh, sort of, you know, pursuing your art, determining your life, uh, Tori, you had a, a, a big moment where you decided when this guy put his cards on the table, come to Switzerland, marry me. And you were like, <laughs> Catch you, buddy. And you moved to Brighton because you can pick up the story from here. So you were thinking uh, that Brighton look, would be... No, uh, we were actually living together in Brighton um, when this when this uh, came up in conversation. And I feel pretty... Um, I was like in a pretty sort of yes time of life also, like saying yes to lots of things. And I'm really glad that I... I kind of was like, may, like maybe for like a moment and <laughs> and then I was like, uh, this is not at all um, what I want, <laughs> which is really good because we broke up, yeah, not, not long after that. So uh -huh. so that was, uh, yeah, the right decision. Yeah. <laughs> and you determined that, why did you choose Brighton though? Uh, I, I don't, like we just, I, I didn't it think about sunny. it. I just didn't think about it. I honestly didn't think about it. I just sort of moved. Like I said, I was in a very, yes, sort of place and I, um, was just looking for somewhere to live and it was by the sea and um, mm. had music and I was like, this sounds fun. So yeah, It's such a nice city yeah. too though. Mm. So yeah. Mm. So, so I just... Like every time I've been there for the great escape, I'm like, oh, why do I have to go back to London? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it just feels like such a nice little sojourn but with its own just thriving personality as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which is really cool. There's a line in Swimming where, where you say, which is you're going to sing for us later, I said I would marry you if, you if I could get a, sorry, I said I would marry you if I could get a passport too. So at night you were sort of purging these songs once you sort of split up. Tell us about that kind of very sort of solo kind of experience. Yeah, I mean I wrote heaps of music because we were actually living together still. So we were in the same room um, and it, I got, he asked me to write a love song <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, Swimming was meant to be that song. Um, but, uh, yeah, it obviously revealed many other truths <laughs> about that point in time. Um, yeah, I, I guess, like, we were sort of inside a lot of the time because we moved in winter and so I was feeling pretty, yeah, just a weirdly, like, 
socially awkward and very internal, so he spent a heap of time just inside purging his music, which was really, yeah, ended up being a really good experience in the end. You got um, swimming out of it. <laughs> got swimming, swimming is, yeah. You know. Did you have to cover your tracks? Did you have to say, oh, no, this one's about Greg? I seriously had to do <laughs> that. Yeah, I had to do that for a lot of... Uh, okay, no, I actually played him the song and I, and I, and I was honest about it and, um, yeah, he was like, oh... <laughs> Okay. Love this for <laughs> you. I'm going for a walk. <laughs> oh. uh, Had you broken yeah. up by that stage? No. Okay. Well, sometimes yeah. that can happen. We interviewed Kai on Hit Different a few weeks ago, and she said just this song came out of her, and yeah. it was just all about them breaking up. And it wasn't until she was literally just tapping her uh, her uh, steering wheel with the lights that this whole song came out. Mm. And she sang it to him, and he was kind of like, "Yep, you're right. We need to break up. You know, this, this is game Damn. over. Everyone should check out." KYE, massive yeah. next year. Huge. Um, Janaya, I'm sorry, I always hog, hog our guests. Um, how have you sort of helped um, guide the artist? How do you sort of massage the talent in a way that, you know, you let them make that decision that you want? Oh, it's, it's never the decision that I want. Um, like, I, I work with someone who is a brilliant manager, pretty shitty human being, but... Um, <laughs> gave me some really great advice and it was always that you want to steer them as far as you can to help them accomplish the things that they can accomplish and sometimes that means kind of like you know guiding them away from certain things they want to do or kind of shave it helping to shave things down but you never want to be in there so far that you change who they are or you change their process or what they're doing and so it's a really fine balance of it can never be domineering. I don't think if it can work. Although I've, my, my kind of career and the stuff that I've really loved has been working with the outliers. And so it's really, I think, even more important to, you know, when the world is saying no to them or that they're crazy or that, you know, to never, you can't go along with that. You have to let them be themselves. But just trying to help them be their best selves. And so it's never my decision. And my thing is never to be the one where I feel like I know more about the artist. They always know more about their music mm. and their process and what their legacy should be and what they're aiming for than I ever will. Mm -hmm. But I'm just there to kind of sometimes be creative with like ideas or help and get as much money as I can for yeah. them. Yes, <laughs> get them bank. coins, get them coins. Is there Ego, no, so. I was just going to say, it's, it, I feel like regardless of if you're in artist management, if you're in PR, even, you know, coming down to when we're writing about them, whether it be writing their artist bios or, or reviewing them or, you know, whatever it may be, it feels sometimes like we're almost just extensions of the artist. You know, I'll never, I can't remember what event I was at many years ago, but with regards to music journalism anyway, um, another fabulous writer, put it really well. He's just like, you know, we're, we're just here essentially to, to keep telling their story. You know, we're, we're not here to change the artist. We're not here to um, kind of influence them in any way. Like our responsibility is to kind of keep that narrative going but with our perspective. And I feel like when it comes to artist management, sorry, artist management, PR, labels, bookings, whatever it may be, it's just like how can we help propel that momentum forward and how can we keep them in that space of, of being creative and being completely, I guess, true to the product that they're putting out, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Mm. 
100% agree with that. And also, I think someone really important to me was um, Derek Burkett, who runs One Little Independent and has been with Burke f um, since the beginning and has like worked in partnership with so many musicians and has poured money into things where everyone thinks he's crazy and has always done that fine dance in the best way that I've ever seen of trying to help them um, do things in a way that will kind of get a successful album release but never getting in the way in the artist and never feeling that he knows better than them or talking down to like all this stuff that I've seen through like you know other um with other labels sometimes um you know and I and that to me is always really important but to kind of I feel like to operate like that a little bit you have to be operating on the fringes even with big bands like you can't go fully into the machine because the machine is just a it has deadlines and it has um ways that they do things and there's you know you can work with it if you know how to fight it but um yeah that's my my little two cents i guess on i that. like it <laughs> so, marcus you usually come in here with a banger <laughs> it's true no pressure. I was going to say that, especially with like Björk, Arcade Fire, and MIA, like they're, they're three artists that there's no precedent for the kind of careers that they've had or the kind of artists right. that they are. Yeah. So, how do you both kind of go, all right, this is how you got to pay your taxes, this is you got to be here on time, here's the bus, plus kind of agree that it's like, well, I don't know where we're going, but I'm here to try and help you do it with you. Like that, that's a big uh, responsibility, I suppose. And, it, and it in some ways must, this sounds a bit precocious, but make you the artist as, as much because you need to understand the way that they're thinking and, and the career that they want to have. Yeah, and I think that's why for me it always has to be, I mean, like people have done this in a way that's probably way more successful than I have. I've worked with successful artists, but I've only worked with the ones that I've wanted to work with. And, um, and that's... And, it's easy, it's always easy for me if I love the music and I love the artist. So it's always, it's that thing where I'm not coming at it and trying to make a song. Like the mathematical equations in my brain is figuring out, okay, how do we make sure we do? And like, it, it kind of depends on what they're trying to get. With those three, it is usually how can you make it as big as you can get and how can you make it have the reach it it can. I remember when we approached the Suburbs album and I'd already, I'd kind of come in on the tail, tail, tail end of an album and I'm now like, okay, so I've learned through the process that we had before, what are the quirks of the band? Mm. And when the band is like at that point where they're successful enough to do things their own way, but then you have to figure out, okay, so how do we, so it's usually like preempting things. Like here is a band that does not like doing photo shoots, does not like mm. doing interviews, but is in a beautiful space recording right now in another country in a spot where they're really happy. Let's get everything over there now. It's way ahead before we're even talking about release dates, but let's get everyone over there. Let's do the photos over there. Let's mm. get different photographers to come over. It's about preempting things. And then um, when they were releasing it, when they were releasing the album, also saying, okay, we're now at a point where we are going from... Um, CDs being the dominant medium, and we're in this period of flux. 
So we're definitely going to see sales drop in this medium. How's this going to affect now streaming is such a big thing? How do we make sure we still like reach things? So then it's like things like, okay, I've been on a tour with this band. This band is massive in different countries. Mm. But we're still at a point where we're not looking at the globe as a whole thing. It's England, America, and Canada. Like, so, okay, so the way to kind of just future-proof ourselves is let's do that. And, you know, and the funny thing is still getting pushback from the label. Like, you know, no one does this before. But pushing to make sure, okay, so they're going to be in these territories. Can we do, like, the interviews around this? Can we set up that around the tour, when we're putting the tour days in, that we're actually putting in promo days? I mean, things are so obvious. That, but for so many bands, they don't do it. They go tour, and then they try and, like, you know, get as many interviews done around what they're doing. Okay, well, can we do TVs? Can we do all of that now? So it's, it's more about trying to strategize the best you can with as much time you have. And if you've got a good relationship with the band and that kind of relationship where you can explain to them, this is what I'm thinking and this is why I'm thinking it, and then it works. But I think if you come from that thing where I know it all and they don't know nothing and I've got to tell them what mm. to do, then you just get to that thing where it doesn't really work. It's not fitting. No. no. So, and, and the ones that I've worked with have always been really amazing like that. Have I lost massive opportunities in the past? Yes. Uh-huh. You know, um, someone came to me about um, his friend who kept playing these gigs in like these pubs around Islington and you've got to come see this guy. He's amazing. And I was just like, I'm just not feeling it. Like, um, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to find a new strokes. Like, uh, I can't see it with this. It's like, it's, it's like sending me pictures. It's, I'm like, I just don't see it. I'm not really into the music. Ed Sheeran. <laughs> so, you know. It's the you funky just, garden note. Yeah. yeah. Still, still to have his breakthrough point in my... No, I'm kidding. He's massive. He's massive. Yeah, but then, yeah. you know, do you regret it? Like, I, yeah. don't, I didn't love the music. I don't regret it. Like, no. I, couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to work that the way exactly. I worked these other ones. So. Yeah. I, used to, I used to work with the guy at the Herald Sun and he, Jay Clark, one of the best sports reporters, and he comes up to me one day and he goes, Mikey, you'd have to agree, Ed Sheeran is a genius. <laughs> I was like, let's go play soccer, man. Okay. Um, <laughs> Tori, with, with your good self, uh, <laughs> Paida had their eyes on you. You won a competition w- with them. And then Tom Jansek, who's placing Big Scary, number one dads, great human, absolute dreamboat. Um, he sort of was sort of paired up with you to make this record, yeah? And he, he talks about sort of dressing the songs up. And tell us about sort of meeting and, and working out and going, yeah, this is going to work. And because it hasn't just worked, as we've seen, even for the fact that it was publicly voted last night, you know, best breakthrough artist. You're having this huge sort of moment on, on your first record. Tell us about, yeah, sort of you getting sort of pushed into that space but not feeling pushed. Uh, I mean, I um, won the, yeah, as you said, the Paida Comp in 2017, I think it was. Um, and so I recorded uh, Mama It's Christmas, which is like one of the songs on the album with Tom then. And you're um, playing today. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I just really loved the experience and, um, yeah, it felt really yeah, felt really good, and um, I also really loved Tom's production style, and um, they were really friendly and welcoming and warm. And um, so I actually sort of I reached out multiple times about recording with Tom. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, why multiple? So um, uh, I just the first time I think was like much earlier, um, and it was with my last my previous project. And, uh, so Severa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I did it again, um, yeah, like when I got back um, from Brighton. And 
yeah, it was just really awesome. Like I thought we were going to be recording a few songs. I just was kind of like, okay, we'll just I'll just go in there and keep adding songs to the like demo playlist. And um, as we were yeah working on it, he was like, oh, why don't you want to record more songs? And I was like, I do. <laughs> so um, I keep emailing you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah so was it an accidental album in a way? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Unreal. And so yeah. there's not that pressure to be going, I, I need you know, I need nine or 11 tracks. No, no, not at all. Incredible. Yeah. And you drank a lot of herbal tea, I understand. <laughs> and you were in a nice headspace. You had a new boyfriend that you're uh, pl- plucking uh, blackberries the, in Heidelberg. The, the way that she is looking at Mikey now for our <laughs> podcast listeners is like, why are you putting my business down here in these streets? My business? <laughs> That's the, that, this is the look <laughs> that's happening right this is, now. This is all lies. Tori... <laughs> Is it is it tricky to go through this essentially kind of very solo um, process of writing these songs kind of in the shadow of this distant heartbreak overseas and then come back and kind of have to secretly make a record with Tom, <laughs> unbeknownst to him, uh, and then have it out and it resonate with so many people but then have to as shh, shh, shh. kind of go into Janae's world and like, okay, artist management, how do we make this pop? How do we make this bigger when that wasn't the kind of, you know, the the seed of why the, it exists in the first place, but it nevertheless has to be managed. Yeah, I think I definitely always struggle with that. Um, and I, like, you know, even coming on a public podcast, like, this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> doing beautifully. Doing beautifully. <laughs> but um, Cute, nervous I'm laugh. also, like, yeah, grateful to be here and I've, I've met so many beautiful people through doing it and I think that that's the whole... Um, experience of it for me is being able to uh, meet beautiful people that I connect with and um, if I always look at it in in that way then it works for me because um, that's a big reason as to why I enjoy being alive and why I want to write music so yeah that's an applause break moment come on yes. yeah that's dope um Wow. Okay, I had something really good there, and it's just it's just it's just gone, but it's gonna come back, and it's back. Okay. Oh no. You talk about. <laughs> just kidding. When we ch- when we chatted uh, for Enemy, we did a great story for Enemy. We had a really nice connection, and you sort of said, oh, there's no bangers on my album. You've got to really sit there in your feelings." And when you play on stage, it feels like that's is that the the most complete version of you as as Tori Zeech? Is that the the moment you're like? Yeah, the best version of yourself or the happiest or and not putting pressure on the answer at all. But when, you, when you're on stage and performing, what's going on in your mind after, you know, escaping this fucking cult and then now doing this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, like, performing has just always been a space where I felt comfortable um, expressing myself uh, and just, like, I, I can get very connected. Um, I feel like I can connect very easily to other people through performing, which sounds a bit weird, but it's no, like, no, no. you it's know. Common, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. A lot of artists will be like, I, you know, the, the only way I can express is through music as opposed to having a conversation. Like, mm. words come better when they're musically formed. Mm. We can't talk to each other outside this podcast. Yeah, no, it's, we, <laughs> it's, true. it's weird it's that confronting. we've been in the same room, for this amount of time, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> how, how big, are, what's the biggest crowd you played to now? Because you did some amazing supports in Adelaide and you've done some, you know, some pretty incredible things. But now you're getting booked on these, like you're doing Meadow, you're doing a bunch of others that are like, this is big deal, Maple, probably prime, prime position and taking people deep into their feelings with, you know, these very slow kind of Lana Del Rey-esque but not problematic songs. <laughs> 
Just throw some, just throw some jazz out there, friends. Okay, keep going. Keep going. Um, yeah, yeah. No, uh, we. Yeah, yeah, the biggest crowd I played to was with Julie Jacqueline in Adelaide, and that was five hundred people. What was the venue? Um, at the Gov. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So this is going to be yeah. A whole new experience. Last night, Melbourne Recital Centre. And last night, Melbourne Recital Centre. <laughs> Just that little, that little gig you did last night <laughs> before you got up and accepted the award. No yeah. yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, Janae, what you do is, is very much global and your work career is very much global. Why the hell are you in Melbourne? <laughs> it's the music city of the world, Marcus. Jesus Christ. I, I want to hear her say it. Yeah. Well, it's, I had a baby and everything. Actually, things started to change... Where, are you, your baby's here? She is. Oh, my God. The big, give it up. What's her name? Hi, yeah. Darcy. Oh, little Wayne. Darcy. <laughs> Three cheers for Darcy. <laughs> Pip. Hooray. Hooray. Pip. Hooray. Hi, Darcy. terrified. And my stepkids know oh. Rosie. It's okay. She's giving, me the, she's giving me the maple glider face. <laughs> Get so, away, weird man. Yeah, so there was... Um, after... Hmm, how do I put this in? After I finished managing MIA, I needed some time out I needed some downtime and and it wasn't you know it wasn't it wasn't even really I had like I mean at that up to that point it was probably coming close to 20 years and you know by that by the time I was doing her it got to the point where I was doing like 21 hour days and Good God. it was just full on and so I just I just wanted to take a year where I was like going and doing pottery and mm-hmm. um well, I was writing, I wrote a book and is I was about, just... Is it about MIA? No. <laughs> I actually was about some other artists, but not her. Ooh. And um, so I took some time out and like life just calmed down. Started working with a playwright. Oh, there was a question about Satan. There was, there's a Satan. And I think Satan segue. <laughs> That's my Satan segue, yeah. He made me redundant when I gave my, week after I gave my pregnancy notice. Wow. But, um, and, but that was just something that I'd just been dallying in, like just a little bit. And um, so, and then I had the baby with my Melbourne-based boyfriend. Oh, Actually, you know, he was London-based and then went Ooh. back to Melbourne, came back here. It's going to be a rock star vibe about him. I love it. And so I just... <laughs> yeah, he's... Well, yeah. It's the Tash. It's the Tash. Okay. December, cuz. He's a graffiti artist <laughs> as well. So, and, um, so, I, um, so I came over here with him and just slowed down. And now, and, and kind of got to the point where I don't want to manage anymore. Like, um, I think after having a baby, to do it the way I was doing it is just impossible. I don't want to take calls at four o'clock in the morning. I really couldn't mm. care less if your house is on fire. So <laughs> now I'm like at the point where that doesn't work for me. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm starting a label, and which Very I cool. thought would be like the easy way to do it. And I'm working on a compilation. I'm like, this is going to be so easy without thinking, okay, now I've got 13 different artists to be dealing with and managers and lawyers. But um, so I just changed direction. And that's where I am now. I'm doing something completely different. Does it still feel, does it still feel like, uh, I guess, with someone with your experience in history, does it still feel like you can be just as active internationally yeah. from Melbourne? I mean, it very is. I mean, this, I'm working on an album. It's a kid's album um, because I wanted to have, like, I wanted to listen to music with my daughter that was not Coco Melon. And, um, just say the Wiggles. 
and the Wiggles. Mm -hmm. And so, although Darcy is a big fan of both. um, So, yeah, so I just kind of like contacted some of the musicians that I'd been working with. So it is all over the place. I've got Mark Lanigan, who's based in Ireland. I've got like um, Jeff Klein, who's between New York and Austin. There's Walter Martin from The Walkman, who's in New York. And so it's like, I've got all these different artists kind of um, all doing little kid songs. That's, um, a, that's a cool thing too, because like you, you know, we imagine these sorts of artists who we were seeing at like such pivotal moments, and you know, th- with a lot of these bands, we're growing up at the same time with them. Yeah. Now, you know, people our age are getting into parenthood. These musicians are also getting into parenthood. Yeah. They're not wanting their kids. You know, they're not wanting to be fucking baby sharking twenty four hours a day. It's yeah. like let's make kids music. You Just know. Yeah. Hopefully, it doesn't lead to them reading Mark Lanigan's book. <laughs> 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 Which is one of the, most, the grimmest biographies I think I've ever read. I actually yeah. haven't read it because I worked with him when he was with um, Greg Dooley and they were doing Gutter Twins together. Um, actually, it was first on Greg's album um, for Twilight Singers and Mark was singing with Greg. And um, like I knew of him. Um, I didn't know that voice until I saw it live. Oof. It's just like, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and he was just such a phenomenal person to work with mm-hmm. and such an unusual character. Mm-hmm. And I've only recently found out about the book and the history and the story. Probably better if you don't read it, to be completely <sighs> honest. So, well, I, I, it's a, it, you, you know how most biographies have an arc? Yeah. He starts and just does that. <laughs> <laughs> He's such an amazing character. Like, he wasn't sure if he could do it just because of some things he was going through. Mm. And then I woke up one morning, it's an email. His, the song was just there. Like, it was just, like, from him. No words. Wow. There's a song. Just do with it what you want. Yeah. And so, and it was also really important to me because I had quite a, horrible experience being pregnant losing my job kind of losing a little bit faith of all these people that I'd put so much into and then so I was speaking with Derek about this idea that you should just do it and so I emailed um I emailed Regine from Arcade Fire first of all and thought let me just start there and she's like I'm in she couldn't do it in the end but just the fact that she said that she was in Richie from the band says he'd do it and so it was just that thing where I kept emailing people and everyone was saying yes. And so it was fulfilling a couple of things. It was like, it was starting to kind of almost heal the kind of that space. Yeah, that just happened. And it wasn't even about those musicians. It was just the last person I'd worked with. But it was a nice way to kind of go back and be like, I can go back to that. Because when you're working with these artists, it's so close. It's your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I miss my mum's 60th birthday because I was mastering MIA's album while she was off on a plane somewhere, um, like, last minute. And, you know, you kind of put so much into it. Mm. I needed to kind of get back that feeling and that love again. Mm. And so this has been doing it, and it's been really nice kind of doing it through the path of motherhood that I'm on That's right awesome. now. So, Do you feel like you've, you were taken advantage of by, by these artists who are sort of diva demands and that real kind of just being I f- dicks? I feel like... There's, I feel like in any industry with everything going on, everyone's having a bit of a come to Jesus moment about how you treat another human being. And I think especially in the beginning when I was really young and kind of got taken advantage of, like, the, you know, I was living with artists, working 24 hours a day and, you know, bringing up with, you know, their team, like I need such and such. It's like no one cares about you. Just, you know, and so you, that was the... 
that I mean, and I think that was a landscape for a lot of people working then. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just the industry. Um, I think across industries, but there was a lot of, you know, behavior that artists were allowed to get away with and that was okay. And you just sit on it, you just make it okay and you go through. And there is a little bit of that. I had the good as well as the bad, so I can't complain. But it's like the ones who were really lovely, it was amazing to go back to and actually reforge connections with and kind of make it a bit of a future thing as well. And in a way that I love, these songs are coming in and like fucking hell, they're amazing. So... Mark Lanigan's on a version of All the Pretty Little Horses, and it's just, like, in that voice. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, I can't complain. That's just life, right? You just, you take the punches, you're still standing, you're better for it. A bit of a few lines from it, but you know better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I love the career that I had. Yeah, yeah, I can tell, and those moments of, like, you... Almost hating an artist for a week and then getting that song and just forgetting it all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That vibe. On the reg. On yeah. the reg. Um, sort of on the mental health segue, Tori, someone like yourself, I know I was speaking to like Camp Cope and a bunch of other bands, everyone says the same thing. Once you, especially at the moment, it just feels like a fan can text you, you know, and tell you exactly how they feel about you and also can to really unload and say, you know, I was feeling suicidal, I was going through, then I heard your song and and expecting you to sort of come back with something that equals that or something that's, you know, not just a bot saying, Mabel Glider will return, you know. Um, how do you kind of protect yourself and, and what sort of interactions have you had with, with fans who have super connected with, with your record um, to enjoy is the only thing? Um, I mean, it's felt like in, in many ways like pretty, it's like small still because, I, you know, I, re- I can read all of the messages that get sent and like obviously, um, you know, it's, it's actually kind of beautiful when someone says that they've listened to a song and it's helped them through a hard time and um that's really yeah that's really special but obviously like I'll just take time out where I'm just not on my phone or checking my Mm. social media for a period of time and that's just you know I I just don't care to have the kind of social media presence when you where you're on it all the time just because I prioritize my mental health and and I and I don't feel like anyone is um also enforcing that kind of thing on me either which is really nice because I just work with really friendly people who really respect like my boundaries and and um yeah and so uh yeah it's been quite easy I think for me to 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 manage um to manage that aspect of it but yeah it is shocking sometimes (laughs) yeah it can definitely be a lot I mean I know um you know, there there are friends of mine here in bands who who are known for writing quite, um, I, I guess, personal or transparent music, and I've been with them like after sound checks where we will be leaving a venue and there'll be, you know, two or three people who've you know been waiting outside from early that morning, just to tell him, you know, I've been through exactly what you're th- what you've gone through or I'm going through it right now and like I like I need you to know like how much this is helping me and it 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 will get to a point with said friend where he's just like I can't I can't talk to fans anymore. Is this Dave from Gang of Youth? May or may not be. Um, but, you know, it gets to a point where you feel like that hectic responsibility as an artist to be that person both on record and off record and I guess that's a it's a tricky balance to kind of to 
to strike when it's like, a, you know, the music is there for you to be interpreted the way that you need it to be, but also, you know, that there has to be a limit. You've, you've got to... Totally. And it's okay to, to kind of have that barrier at times because you're going to have some sense of self-preservation, otherwise you, you're going to burn out. That's right. Marcus, I know you got something. One second. Well, it's, all, it's also... No, 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 wait one second. In five minutes, my friends, a party will break out, Okay. In five more minutes, so just keep the momentum going of the evening. Uh, Oprah Winfrey said, the greatest gift you can give someone is your time. So thank you, everyone, for coming out. Marcus, take it away as we build, 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 maple glider and then a party. Okay, good. It's also the dream, right? Like you, when you play a song, it's your desperate hope that someone resonates with it mm. and feels something. And so it can be quite confronting when thousands of people are coming back at you saying that yeah. that sort of stuff is... But you. But you also want to support them as fans. And Janae, you were going to do a, a talk at the uh, Melbourne Writers' Festival last year, yeah. which is kind of bridging that divide between the digital world that we live in as, you know, trying to sell, sell records and all that kind of stuff, but the fans and how they relate to it. Is that, especially as someone who's thinking about starting a label or is starting a label, how do you, how do you kind of facilitate that, Wanting to be in fans' lives to the point where, you know, they become a part of the artist's lives, mm. but a little bit at arm's length, I suppose. I'm 100% arm's length. I don't even like being on this stage. I'm used to being <laughs> back there watching it happen. And so, um, yeah, as much as I'm doing so, I don't want anyone, sorry, I don't want, you don't need to contact me. Please don't contact me. I'm not very good at that stuff. It mm. makes me feel unbelievably exposed I don't, like, when I see, uh, the, I've seen the bad of it where people get into a, a, almost like a obsessive rumination mm. where they're just checking every single bad bit of thing about them mm. every day and that's their process. And then they can't do anything else. They're flawed it's by it. Yeah. It's, it. I find it unbelievably scary, this access that we have, but then is expected of us. Mm. So, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea how I'm going to do that. Because would you encourage artists as art, as an artist manager to interact with their fans yeah, in that way? Yeah, go interact Res with your respond fans. Respond to... But just like, I mean, but it's, yeah, it's weird. Some of them are very good at um, like... Uh, Compartmentalising? A yeah. little bit. But most of mostly I either see people do it or not do it. So yeah. like, um, I've, you know, work with bands where no one is checking social media. They don't care. They're just living their life. They have no clue what's going on. Someone else is running it for them. And then, you know, like, there are other people who are like, you know, Mario would be like, oh, I found this guy on YouTube and I've contacted him. He's an amazing dancer. He's in some village in Senegal. Can you get him over for, like, this tour? And she just, like, she's just very good at just her whole thing. And part of her process was that connection with the world and the stuff that hadn't been done. She was not interested in going to some agency where there are dancers and things like that. So you kind of find that you have to bridge it a little bit. But I have, yeah, I have no idea. I find that I, the idea when strangers contact me online, I'm just like, block. <laughs> so I, Is yeah. that why you haven't emailed me back? Okay, great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> jokes. Uh, final question. It's called Hit Different. We always ask this. I'm going to run out in the crowd very shortly while Maple is setting up. Be prepared. Be prepared. Uh, music that's hit different for you in the last year. Be the person you just mentioned from Senegal, you know? Uh, something that, oh, could it be something that I've heard before? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, uh, I don't know. We'll cut to Tori and we'll yeah. come back to you. <laughs> Tors? 
Uh, I recently, the half, um, oh my goodness, Hand Habits. Yeah, the recent Hand Habits yep. album. Yeah. The album I just like have been, um, yeah, laugh crying to a little bit. Laugh crying. <laughs> it's been really great. It's um, a five star review. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also, just, yeah, was stoked to hear Kian play live earlier because. It's amazing. Um, One more time for Kian. That <laughs> yeah. was real special. <laughs> The artist, like, you lifted the whole room. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Better Things has, yeah, been such a beautiful song to listen to heaps. Um, that was my uh, song when I was gardening uh, last year at my old house. That was the song I put on in the morning to get into a um, good mood. So, yeah. Terrific. Marcus? Uh, <laughs> I hate it uh, when you do this. They hit different. What song? What music's hit different for you recently? <laughs> Walter we... Martin, actually. I've been going through his back catalogue quite a lot. He's uh, for people who don't know, he was like a dude in the Walkman uh, in New York, and then went off and did a mixture of like kids' records, but also adult records. And he's just like a lovely kind of character. He makes me feel good. Not much music <laughs> makes me feel like I'm listening to a friend and. Uh, he also does these great reviews on his Instagram. For example, he had moths in a rug and he couldn't figure out how to, how to get rid of them. So he read that they die by heat. So he took his car into like the middle of a oh summer God. in Brooklyn and filled it with rugs and just left it there with a big clock. Oh no, a temperature gauge. So he knew wow. how hot it was going and when it went to it. Anyway, it worked. So if you ever need to know how to kill moths <laughs> in rugs, Walter Martin go. from The Walkman is the guy to get Damn. in touch with. It's a feel-good podcast, everyone. <clears throat> so... Sorry, that's just completely throw me. I wasn't <laughs> expecting to hear about that today. Um, I've been kind of going down a rabbit hole of um, Tom Mish and Yusuf Days. Um, I think that Yusuf is an incredible instrumentalist. And, I mean, t Tom's always been on his, like, innovative production tip for years now. Um I think Jordan Rakai actually got me into him. Um, again, when I was in the UK for The Great Escape of quite a few years ago, it's kind of like, come see like our weird British jazz friends in like this back-end pub because it was the only venue we could get into um, on like night three of the festival. I'm like, okay, I just want to go vibe out. And it, it, it ended up being him. So hearing him with, again, with Yusuf and just being becoming hypnotised um, and, and letting that sort of wash over me, particularly in the last couple of weeks, which have been really hectic. I feel like the final stretch of the year is always absolutely bloody mental, but I feel like landing. this year is definitely, <laughs> it's, it's ramped up a couple of notches. So having that sort of music there has been a real sort of balm. Um, but yeah, if you haven't looked up their collaborations, particularly um, Yusuf playing live or in his studio, please go do it. Um, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Excellent. Back to you. Okay, actually, I do know. <laughs> so it's a bit sad, but um, my friend, well, good, an artist that I worked with was one of the few artists that I'd call a friend um, years ago. He died. Um, he died just, I guess, a few months ago. Um, his name's Dan Sartain. And so I, um, I kind of went back to his back catalogue and it's just been amazing listening to those songs, which kind of really feel like a celebration of life. Again, after a really sad like thing happened, so I'd say it'd be Dan's catalogue. Terrific. My thing that's hit different is the round of applause you're going to give for all the guests that have come today. Yeah, boy. Yeah, girl. Much respect. 
Marcus Teague, Sir Spiavoli, Janaya Turner, Tori Zich, aka Maple Glider, 